Welcome or welcome back. This is the Sonia Looney Show and I'm your host, Sonia Looney. This is episode 16 where we go into details about the La Leanda del Dorado, a seven-day mountain bike stage race in Caldas, Colombia with around 500 kilometers of racing and 54,000 feet of climbing in the jungle. In today's episode, my husband Matt Iwanis is the host and he is speaking with Amy Beth McDougall and I, who were teammates and in the women's team category at La Leanda. La Leanda only had team categories, so you could race men's team, you could race a mixed team with a male and a female partner, or the women's team category. Amy and I actually won this race, and this was a really big win in our career, but it wasn't the win that actually meant the most to us. It was the incredible week and camaraderie and positive experience that we had sharing going across Columbia together. And I do a lot of solo stage race events, and I enjoy that, but racing with a team is really different because you get to share an experience, and it's an opportunity to really build a relationship and strengthen a friendship with somebody. It's also different because it's not just about you, it's about other people. And if you guys listen to Peak Performance, which is a previous episode of this podcast, having a purpose that is greater than you actually boosts motivation and it boosts your sense of purpose. It was also really cool to share this experience in Colombia with my husband, Matt Iwanis. He raced the men's category with another Kelowna friend named Peter Watson, who's a pretty amazing cyclist and also a crazy downhiller. He rocks a thick red beard. So if you guys want to check him out, I'll put his Instagram in the show notes as well. The La Leanda del Dorado was a very hard race. Our racing time in seven days was about 27 hours and the race was anywhere from 7,000 feet up to 13,500 feet of elevation. So it was a very high altitude race. But let's get into it. Let's have Matt run the show today, and you can hear what Amy and I have to say. If you notice that Amy has an accent, she is from South Africa, and there's some funny little sayings that she has that I particularly love, and I just was so excited to talk to her again. So let's get into the show. This is episode 16. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Matt, uh, Sonia's husband. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the opportunity today to interview both Amy and Sonia and ask them about their recent trip to Colombia. I went there as well and raced the La Leyenda del Dorado. I think I said that right. And uh, we had an amazing experience. So I just wanted to share my experience, but most importantly, Amy and Sonia's with you guys. So I have a few questions for them. So the first thing I wanted to get you guys to do, maybe just describe the race in Colombia, like what type of race was it and why did you go there and that kind of stuff. So Amy, why don't you go first? Tell us a little bit about uh, the trip to Colombia. Well, obviously it was a stage race and looking at the profiles and all of that, it was definitely, I could see it would have been one of the toughest things that I've done. And yeah, just a total adventure, something completely new. So that was very attractive. And yeah, obviously fully sponsored and with a partner like Sonia, it just was, yeah, awesome. Cool. Yeah, going to Colombia was something I was really interested in doing and I had heard of a new potential event there some years ago. And usually when people say, hey, you wanna go here? I just say yes, 
And there's been times where I, I knew where Columbia was, but there's been other races I've done where I actually didn't even know where it was. Like I had to go look at the globe and give myself a refresher in geography. But I was excited to go to Colombia because a friend of ours spent a lot of time in Ecuador and he had talked about how amazing Ecuador is in the high altitude jungles. So whenever someone said Colombia, I was excited about that and also about the people. Like South American people are incredible. Like they're so fun. And I've raced in like Chile, Argentina, Brazil, and I was just excited to meet the Colombian people. But Amy, it was funny because you mentioned the course profile. I actually didn't look at the course profile until the day before we were leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a bit of a shock for both of us. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I think maybe it's better that way. Yeah. So one of the cool things about this race format is that it's a, it's a partner race, a team race. You have to race with your partner no more than a couple minutes ahead or behind at all times. And so a big part of doing these kinds of races is teammate selection. So Amy's from South Africa. Sonia is living in Canada. How did you guys meet and, and how did you decide to race together? Sonia, why don't you take that one? So Amy and I met last year at a stage race called the Joburg to Sea in South Africa. And I had never been to South Africa before. And I was racing with Yuki Ikeda. So we were both racing. Amy and I were both racing mixed category, which means you race with a man. And Amy was racing with Grant, her boyfriend. So it was awesome because we Yuki and I got to Joburg and Grant and Amy invited us to go riding. We'd never met them before. And we went on this ride and we saw zebras just running around. And it was the craziest thing ever. But, you know, over the course of a race, the Joburg to see was a nine day race and it was really hard, um, particularly for me because the terrain is really different from what I'm used to riding. So over the course of a race, you really get to know somebody, especially what they're like during the race. And all the mixed teams were really strong. We got to race with each other, like close to each other every day. So you got to see how people acted during the race and after the race. And I thought that Amy was just super awesome and really fun and really strong as well. And I thought it's going to be a good teammate. And really choosing a teammate is so much more than just picking someone who's fast. It's picking somebody where your personalities gel well together and where you think that you're going to have a good vibe the whole time because that attitude and that camaraderie, especially when it's really hard, is really important. So Amy, were you hesitant at all when you got uh, a call from Sonia saying, hey, I want to race with you? Or what was your thought process? Yeah, it took about three seconds. (laughs) No, it was an immediate, an immediate absolutely yes. Also, I hadn't, yeah, I didn't really know much about the race, but the opportunity to go to Colombia and to race with Sonia, like she said, we got along so well and I knew it'd be an amazing adventure. So I said, absolutely yes. There was no hesitation. Awesome. Once we got to Columbia, it was actually one of the coolest race registrations that, that I'd ever seen. I don't know about you guys, but you walked into the area where they had the registration. They had like a live DJ. They had like liquid smoke. They had all this stuff going on. It was, it was like a club. It was, it was pretty nuts. But I remember walking around and looking at the prize table. They had like all the, the each stage, they had little trophies and then they had overall trophy. And I could see Sonia looking at those trophies, sort of drooling <laughs> over, <laughs> over them. When you went to the race, were you thinking, yeah, we're going to go in and, and I think we're going to crush this thing, we're going to win? Or had you looked up your competition because there was a really strong field there of women? What were your thoughts right out, out of the gates? What were your expectations? Look, I knew, like, especially Esther Suss and Catherine Williamson would be really strong. But that's also really good because you want to have competition. You don't want to just go and have an easy win. But, I mean, to be honest, I think mentally 
this race has been such an eye-opener for me because I often I do overthink my competition way too much. And Sonia's attitude and my attitude was something different. We went in just knowing that first and foremost, we were going to have fun and do our best. And we would have done our best anyway. So I think that attitude was what actually made us win in the end. We didn't worry too much about everyone else. We just worried about our own race and having fun most of all, I think. Yeah. And that's actually not that easy to execute. I mean, that's something that I'm sure I know, Amy, you've been working on it and I've been working on it as well as not focusing on the outcome of a race and really focusing on the present moment. And we had some things happen in the race. Like one day I had a puncture and Catherine and Esther passed us. And I was kind of like starting to freak out a little bit. And Amy was so calm and she had to fix it for me because I was like, ah. and, and she had this like amazing South African plug, which if you guys haven't seen these plugs, they're just starting to come over to North America. But it's like this like stabby little like mini screwdriver thing. And you stick this sticky rubbery thing into the sidewall and it actually plugs it up for you. And we had discovered that mine was actually, mine was too short. So you can insert all kinds of funny uh, jokes about mine being too short and Amy's being long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she fixed it. So that was a moment where I was like, oh crap, like they're in front of us now. This sucks. And then they ended up having a flat tire, which was crazy. And there was all this just uncertainty going on because they're a strong team. So just focusing on what you're doing, especially that day, was important. And that win meant, the win that day meant even more because of what mentally we had to kind of go through of having the lead, not having the lead. And we had gotten caught by them on this, like, it was called the wall. And it was like 25, 30% grade for two kilometers. It was insanely steep. And by the top, I was like, I'm just getting off my bike. I'm just going to walk. And I could barely even walk my bike up the thing. And then I got passed by both of them riding on that section. So I was a little bit like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so in... No, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did you feel when that happened? Like, the whole that whole little section in that race? And look, it's never, it's never good, but you kind of... You need to just not let it affect you too much and just carry on doing what you can do. Because I, yeah, I know when I start getting stressed, then I do stupid things. So I just kind of let them pass us and knew we just needed to carry on riding our own race. Yeah, yeah. And then we passed the back and they got the flat tire. And maybe that was because there's some weird energy of like, oh, God, we, we passed them back. Sweet. And I was just riding on like a flat. Like there's just no way that that should have happened. And it did. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the interesting thing about this race in Colombia, as Sonia alluded to, the climbs are insanely steep and also insanely long. There was one day where it was a 55 kilometer climb that took four to four and a half hours, depending on how fast you were. And also some relatively technical descents, like nothing, I would say, single track North American style, but some burly, chunky uh, dual track. And then some really, really high speed, like 20K high speed descents where you could actually make up a lot of time. For both you and Sonia, the technical part of the race actually was tended to be one of your strengths. Did you guys expect that coming in and, and how did you take advantage of that? Because you guys won, I think, a handful of the stages as well as the GC, but not all of them. So were you planning, okay, once this climb is done, we're going to just crush them on the downhill or did that even really factor into your thinking? Amy, do you want to take that? Yeah, definitely. I think we both knew going in that we would, that would be our strength. I think it was day two, 
Sonia kind of made a pretty aggressive attack on the very first climb, which was pretty, yes. definitely very strategic because we knew the technical section on the other side was really technical. So that actually, like, it was the best move she could have done because we got such a big lead, which we kept all the way to the end. So moves like that and um, knowing your strengths and your partner's strengths, it definitely plays a role and, and you know, where to attack, where to make moves. Yeah. Yeah, and Amy, I have to give Amy public credit for this. Like, she was dropping me on the downhills, and it was awesome because it, like, yeah, you made really good choices on your equipment. Like, I made some very drastic changes to my normal setup, and it took me quite a while to get used to it. And even then, like, you were way more comfortable than I was, like, ripping down dirt roads, like, with blind corners and all that. So I was, it it definitely made me go faster than I wanted to go uh, in some cases on those dirt roads. And also on the t- on the technical single tracks, like knowing that I could go as fast as I wanted and you would be there was awesome. Yeah, it's I think that's cool. Thank you. <laughs> that's one of the challenging things, especially you know not only from a partnership perspective, are you the same speed going uphill, but downhill can be wildly variable. And especially for you guys from different parts of the planet, you never really know until you know you've raced against one another or with one another. So that's pretty lucky. It sounds like you guys have found like a really pretty perfect match (laughs) (laughs) sorry i just want to say like having a partner especially a a woman who's as good technically as me is really awesome as well i mean sonia would go ahead on that like the crazy rocky gnarly kind of stuff and i could just follow her line i just trusted her where she was riding and um yeah it is as a woman it is sometimes difficult to find someone as good technically so that was really really cool i enjoyed that well, I wanted to ask about a couple of stages in particular, and I think this might have been day three or stage two, where we went into a town called Salamina, and that's the same day, I believe, as the wall day. So we had this point-to-point day, and sort of halfway through this rolling day, there's this crazy climb with this monster steep pitch in it, and then you basically just kept climbing up and up and up. But the profile was kind of funny because it appears like there's no downhill. Like you start low and you finish high and you just race for like four hours straight up, not straight uphill, but up and down. But we came into this amazing little town called Salamina and it was probably one of the coolest race finishes that I've ever seen. But Sonia, why don't you describe that a little bit? Because at the end of the stage, there's a picture of me hugging Sonia and you probably can't see in that picture because her head's the other way, but she's like, she's really emotional, really happy and excited. But maybe describe that moment uh, coming into that town. Yeah, that was incredible. And that, that was the day that Amy and I were just talking about where like we got passed and then we passed them back and we had a flat tire, then they had a flat tire and all this like stuff happened and you had to just keep pushing forward regardless and just try not to think about any of that stuff. And I remember like I was starting to get fatigued by the end of this day and we thought, okay, like we're almost there. We can't possibly go up anymore. And then you pop out on this pavement and then it just like starts rolling again with like all of these steep climbs. And Amy and I were just like, are you kidding me? We're we're not there yet. And there's more (laughs) uphill. Like this is ridiculous. And we had heard that there's just like a really steep, crazy downhill into town and people everywhere. So we finally get to the top and we know we're there. And the downhill was actually intimidating. Like it was paved, but it was like crazy steep through this town. And all it would take was like a, a rogue dog to run out in front of you and you'd mess yourself up pretty bad. And there are lots of random dogs running around. So we rolled in and lining for probably like a kilometer. There's just like a roar of people. It was so incredibly loud. And just the fact that we had gone through all those things that day and it was day three of the race. We had taken the leader's jersey on day two. That was like, oh, wow, we actually might have a chance to hang on to this leader's jersey. Like, this is pretty cool because when we first got the leader's jersey, like my personal coming into the race, I thought, well, 
I've never beat Catherine and I've never beat Esther and I've never even raced Esther. And Esther is like multiple time world champion, one Cape Epic, one Trans Alp. So in my mind, I thought there's no way I can never beat, we're like, we're going to beat these people because of who they are. And now we're beating them for real. And it's the second day we've beat them. And we're rolling into this town with like all of these cycling fans just screaming for you and all the things you went through during the day, the ups and the downs, literally, figuratively and emotionally. And you get to the finish line and there's just like hundreds and thousands of people, like literally over a thousand people there. And you stop and like instantaneously you're swarmed with cameras and people and kids. And these girls had made flags for all the riders. So like one girl brought a South African flag and one girl brought an American flag. And it was just like... I was like beside myself, like I was like breaking down, crying tears of joy and laughing at the same time. And it was just so intense for me to have that experience and to share it with Amy that we had done that. We might actually have a shot to really win this race. And that there are so many people that actually cared about what we were doing. And it was just amazing. Yeah, Amy, what was it like for you guys? There's this really cool picture of you guys riding into the final square. We can see you guys just coming through the finish line. And then there's this shot from a drone, I think, and you can see like, you just sort of see like a couple of helmets and there's a swarm of people. And I think, I don't know if ESPN Latin America was there and like in North America, mountain biking in particular and road biking as well, but specifically mountain biking isn't very, I would say a really public sport, popular sport. Was that an unusual experience for you or South Africa similar to that? Or how did that rank for you? Yeah, I got goosebumps actually listening to Sonia talk about that finish. It was out of this world. I think that is that day was probably the highlight of my entire career. Well, that and the day that we won the whole actual race. <laughs> it, was just, <laughs> it was absolutely mind-blowing. I don't think I've ever actually given anyone an autograph before, but we just had like kids lining up for our autographs and being interviewed left, right and center. And we absolutely, we just felt like complete celebrities. We were actually joking we said that our helmets are getting tighter every day because our egos were growing, our heads were getting bigger as the days went by. <laughs> we just got treated like absolute celebrities and stars. It was pretty emotional. Yeah, it was just like one example, like a very tiny, tiny, <coughs> tiny cross-section of what that would feel like in North America to be like an NFL or an NBA player, you know, like basketball or football, where it's like you're this crazy sports celebrity and I actually felt empathy for those people because I wanted to, because I love talking to every single person. I want to sign every single autograph. And that was the only time ever in my life where I couldn't actually do that. And so that transition, if you were like a real big time sports celebrity, that would be actually really hard if you're used to like trying to be there for everybody. And now suddenly you actually cannot physically do that anymore. Like that would be really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Thankfully, I've never had that experience and, and I probably won't have to balance that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but they were, kids were getting your autograph too. Yeah, that's true. And so my partner is from the same town that I'm in. He's in, in he's from Kelowna, BC, and he's got this big burly red beard. Peter Watson. Peter Watson. And he's a shredder. Like he, he absolutely rips on the bike and on the uphill and the downhill. He's crazy on the downhill as well. But the beard alone, I think, made him a celebrity. He had so many people coming up to him that just wanted autographs and pictures and, and for both of us. But I definitely got left in the dust because I didn't have a big enough beard. So. <laughs> <laughs> so next time if you guys can grow some beards, you'll get even more press. For all kinds of weird reasons. <laughs> Circus freaks. Uh, so I've got a question, maybe more general question about racing for both of you guys. But maybe I'll ask Amy this one because I know Sonia's answer a little bit. But in general, how do you decide what races to do? Like I know in South Africa, there's a lot of races available, but when you're picking the types of races, whether they're short or long or multi-day, 
How do you decide what races you want to do when you have that many options in front of you? Yeah, I must say South African, the calendar that we have is just absolutely chock-a-block. So hey, what did you say? Chock-a-block? Chock-a-block. Chock-a-block. <laughs> don't, you, don't you have that word? No. Chock-a-block, really full. <laughs> yes, really full. <laughs> yeah, so I guess there's a few factors. Time of the year. So sometimes they're just one after the other and you can't do everything. So you have to pick and choose. Sometimes it is financial because that's our income. And then, yeah, for me, the harder, the more most technical ones, I'll always go for those. But we are really spoiled for choice. I must say there are harder choices to have to make in life than which stage race to do. <laughs> yeah, like you guys have 50 stage races in South Africa. Yeah. Like most people don't know yeah, that. I think like it's... I, yeah, people have only heard of like the Cape Epic. But after I came there and found out there was like 50... That's like amazing. Like mm. you were telling me you do like 10 stage races a year and you can do them all in one country. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is, there's 10, I did count them, 10 stage races, including La Leyenda. But I mean, I could do more if I wanted to. It's crazy. And you can actually, you need to be really careful about what you choose. Last year, I just burnt out completely and I couldn't touch my bike for a month. I was just completely physically and mentally burnt out. So you do need to be really careful. It's, it's easy to get like, yeah, to run away and get all excited and do every single race possible. But you really, you need to look after your body as well. <laughs> yeah. Now, Sonia is, you know, obviously an ultra endurance and endurance. That's her thing. And and when she talked to me initially about you at this race, she said, well, one of the most important things about stage racing in general is durability and being tough. And she told me a little bit about some of the crazy endurance races <laughs> that you've done. And it just sounded actually ridiculous. So what race was there more than one or is that have you done a couple of crazy races or what, what were they? I think the two craziest, most character building yeah, life-threatening <laughs> races I've done <laughs> was probably the Manga, which is a race from, it was basically a thousand Ks through our desert, the Karoo. Self-supported, right? And self-navigated. Yeah, the, every 200 Ks, there was like a stop. And then it was, navig you had your navigation on the GPS. Also, I'd probably still be out there and that was two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. The navigation was luckily not a problem, but it was you're the first person across the line on one. So it wasn't like you had days where you finished a day and then you could sleep and then start the next day with everyone else. You had to decide when you slept and what you ate and all of that. And I think for the first group, it was a big shock to our system because we didn't know that there would be corrugations, these crazy corrugations, 4,000 Ks in the dirt roads. We just thought it would be flat riding. So I had a 650B hardtail on all these massive corrugations. There was a block headwind the whole way. It was like having a hairdryer in your face. It was 40 degrees Celsius. You could literally drink three <laughs> liters of water and then be thirsty again 15 minutes later. So that like mentally I broke down every single day. I got to the darkest points that I've ever been to in my whole life and made it through. And yeah, that kind of actually changed my life and also it gave me reference points. So if I'm ever, if I ever get to a dark place in a race, it's like, it's okay. I've been to worse places, you know, <laughs> I can get through this. Yeah. And then another one was Iron Bike Italy, which is another, that was spectacular. I mean, that was completely on the other end of the scale where you're doing also like 3000 meters and 70 Ks and a lot of hiking with your bike on your back. The one day it took me 10 hours. That was like the second last day or something like that. It's just like 20 Ks. The one day took me four hours from just hiking and the stuff's unrideable. Yeah, so those were definitely 
the things that stand out. I don't think I would do them again in a hurry just because of the damage that they did to my body and <laughs> the amount it took out of me mentally as well. Like physically, the manga took me three months to recover from. So because your muscles completely atrophy, yeah, it's crazy. So I wouldn't do them again in a hurry. I'll just, you know, I've built that character now. <laughs> 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 Maybe one day again when <laughs> <And> I'm older. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds absolutely, absolutely nuts. I have to admit, you know, as exciting as that sounds, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my four to eight hour races being extreme for me. I think multiple days and 10 hours and 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah, that takes a different person for sure. Yeah, but I, I want yeah. to go back to the point of those dark moments and those hard things. And that's that's why it's so important for us to challenge ourselves because if we just do things that are easy all the time and we never push those boundaries of, oh my gosh, like, am I actually going to survive this? Or how am I possibly going to keep going? We always do. And those are the most important moments in what we're doing. Because like you said, Amy, that's the reference point is so important because that's what makes you stronger moving forward. And hopefully you don't have too many of those reference points because I think that that's what leads to burnout is going to those dark places too often. But it's awesome that you've had those. And I know that I certainly have. And a lot of our listeners have had it. And you don't have to do... A crazy race to get there like it's harder whenever you have done lots of hard races like you and I because now to get to that point it takes a lot more to get to that dark point because of what you've already done but some people get to that point just going on like a 10 mile ride with their spouse you know what I mean so <laughs> maybe I get to that point with my spouse <laughs> maybe your spouse gets to that point <laughs> that's a good point but yeah I just wanted to pull out that point of how important it is to challenge yourself and that it's okay if you're feeling that really difficult time and just knowing you'll get through it and knowing it'll make you better. You were speaking about sort of those dark places and Sonia, you both alluded to that and, and psychologically what it takes to get through those. Maybe bringing that back yeah. to the race and to a mixed team. So you guys <laughs> had a really successful experience and were able to manage that really well. So maybe you guys could talk a little bit about what the things were that you did to support one another to make that successful. And you also got to see teams around you that maybe didn't execute that very well. I mean, there's lots of different teams in the race from all kinds of categories, but maybe sort of tell us a little bit about what went well for you guys and maybe examples of what you saw that wasn't working so well. Amy, why don't you start with that? Yeah, so I've seen um, also in a lot of stage racing things that teams do wrong. And a lot of it is to do with communication and also letting go of your pride. So teams often will race each other. It's like a, you know... <laughs> The one has to prove that the other one's the stronger one or the weaker one doesn't want to let the stronger one know that they're the weaker one. So, And that just ends up being a bit of a mess. So if you're struggling a bit, it's all just about communicating to the other partner, listen, back off a bit. Um, if I push this hard, I'm not going to last today or it's going to damage me for the rest of the days. And you'll find often you take turns. So like the one day I didn't eat enough and I just completely blew towards the end and I just told Sonia, listen, <laughs> I can't do this. And she just sat in the front and pulled me all the way to the end. That was actually that day we were talking about just now. Yeah, communication definitely is key. And working as a team, like if you get a puncture, it's we got a puncture and we were strong today. Or it's not I and me. It's your unit. And you need to, that's how you need to see it. Right. Excellent. And Sonia, what were your sort of takeaways from having a successful race with a teammate? Yeah, I think that communicating at the beginning what your goals are is definitely important because if your teammate just says, oh, my goal is to win, 
then that's going to make things harder because obviously your goal is to win. Everybody's goal is to win if you're lining up for a race. But just making sure like that you're clear on why you race together. So for us, our goal was to do our best every day and to really, we kept saying we really want to enjoy the experience. We want to see Columbia and enjoy riding together. So I think that that communication from the beginning was important. And also just being patient. Amy was the stronger partner of the two of us. And that was really awesome. And I told Amy on one of the days that I've never been the weaker teammate in a women's team before. And I was curious to see what my ego was going to do because everyone has one. Everyone has an ego. And I was really happy that I didn't have one second where I felt like my ego was bruised because I wasn't the stronger rider. I was happy that I could sit on Amy's wheel. And at the end, she was actually pushing me. And I was really happy that I had such a strong teammate. And Amy never made me feel bad about myself. And like having a teammate that doesn't say mean things to you. I've raced with men that have said really mean things to me. Like, <laughs> like you're, you can't go any harder. I've seen you go harder on a recovery ride and you're like racing and you're going as hard as you possibly can. So I think that the key here is the empathy and Amy and I both are very empathetic people. And especially when we're racing, because we've both been in that situation where we've been the nail, like the hammer and the nail analogy, being driven straight into the ground by our teammate, and maybe not emotionally, but just even physically. So being having that awareness around what, what it feels like to be the weaker partner and how important it is to work as a unit, like you said, Amy. I've got a yeah. question, sorry to interrupt, but so sometime, I mean, what I want to know is the balance between being on the same page about doing your best and having a good race experience because that sounds all nice and fluffy and hey we're just here for a good time but uh, i mean i see sonia at the start of races and she tells me like i want to kill people today i can't wait to crush everybody and not <laughs> specifically my direct competition but i want to crush everybody <laughs> every man. guy every man like i want to kill people yeah. so like how do you balance that like i'm a raging animal and want to crush people with this sort of idea of oh we're just gonna have a do our best and be okay with that like how do you balance that because i think that that's the challenge i think Amy, do you want to take that one? Well, I think, like, in a way, that's how that is our form of enjoyment. <laughs> like, that's how we enjoy things. It's like doing our best and trying to beat everyone. And, you know, I don't think we would enjoy it if we just rode slowly and took selfies all day and, and enjoyed the view. So, in a way, that is how we enjoy ourselves. But it's, I don't know, just doing it in a positive way, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's not so much about beating other people. Like the byproduct of riding like an animal is that you beat a lot of people. But where I get most of my satisfaction, and I'm sure it's the same for you, Amy, is when you're out there and you're riding and it hurts like hell, but you know that it, it hurts in a good way. And it's hard to describe yeah. it. Like there's those days where you feel absolutely horrible on your bike. And I had one of those in the race where it's just like pure torture to be riding your bike and you just keep digging and digging and it's not any fun. And then there's the days where it hurts very, very badly, but in a different way because you're actually going somewhere with your pain. And those are the days that I love the most. And in terms of results, like Amy and I actually talked about this while we were racing. We'd much rather ride our best and bury ourselves and come third or 10th than to ride poorly and win a race. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'd rather for me to finish a race knowing that I absolutely buried myself. It doesn't matter where, what my position was. That is when I know. Wait, sorry. So you put on hold. Yeah, start, start that <laughs> sentence again. Yeah, so um, when, I, when I bury myself, that is when I know, then I'm happy. Actually, I've come to realize that 
you can't be in control of your competition. We we can't be in control whether if Esther and Kath or the other girls would be stronger than us. That's not in our control. We need to do what we can do and the best that we can do. If we went out there and did our absolute 100%, then I'm happy. That's more what it's about for me. And Sonia as well. We did talk about this at length. Sonia has a quite a talent of talking and she almost rides faster when she's talking and riding. <laughs> so... <laughs> I was like, okay, she can do that then. <laughs> so we, it was pretty cool. We chatted a lot, but it didn't slow her down. I think she actually went faster. <laughs> the funny thing is, like, when you were saying that at the finish, and then you're talking to Yuki, who I've also raced with. Yeah, Yuki said the same thing that I go faster yeah. when I'm talking. And that's fr- that is so weird. <laughs> Maybe I'll just start talking the entire time. It'll drive everyone nuts. Yeah. So psychological warfare. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yes, it is a talent, and it is probably quite demoralizing for a lot of people yeah. if they like fucking off. And yeah. well, that's a South African term, fucking off. You're struggling, <laughs> and then <laughs> everyone else is struggling, and then Sonia's chatting away. I think uh, it's pretty good to suck up competition. <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't taught like there were days where with the altitude, I was just like dying. I was wheezing and breathing so hard, and you were like, "Oh my god, is yeah. she dying?" And I was like, "I'm okay." I just have to breathe really hard because of the altitude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that wasn't, you did have moments where you were just, <laughs> just had to breathe. I'm uh-huh. sure, especially with that altitude, it was crazy. Yeah, so the so. race pretty much started at 7,000 feet or about 2,000 meters, and you went up from there. So up as high as 4,000 meters or about 13,500 feet. So you're constantly at elevation and then higher. So coming from a bit lower sea level, it was definitely a challenge. Just the respiratory system is an overdrive because you're breathing so hard. But apparently that didn't really stop Sonia. She was still talking for the most part. <laughs> There's probably a meter, you know, like you get to a certain elevation and the words start becoming either shorter or stop. You need to chart that next time. <laughs> so I've got another more race specific question for you guys. And this is again, more of a general, general question. Both of you are, you know, exceptionally strong riders and of course women as well. What's it like to ride in big races like this with large groups of men and women? Do you find riding with men changes the dynamic of the race or how you race and what's that like? Do you want to start with that one, Sonia? Sure. So an interesting thing about this race was that most of the races I do are not UCI sanctioned because North America and just like a lot of the adventure style stage races, they don't bother to go with the UCI for a number of reasons, which we won't get into in this podcast. But there's a UCI rule, actually, where as a women's team, you can't draft off the men. It's illegal. But the men are allowed to draft off of you. So (laughs) that (laughs) is kind of unfair, I think. And there's lots of times where there'd be just like trains of dudes just sitting behind Amy and I while we were racing. And there are also times where it's like Amy would be going first and I'd be just like trying to hang on to her wheel, just like, oh, God. And then out of the corner of my eye, I would just like see this wheel, but it wasn't like in a good way. It was a wheel that was about (laughs) to crash into me constantly and is like wobbling around everywhere. And I hear like, yeah, yeah, like behind me. And it's like, it's like, I can appreciate the effort, but it's super annoying sometimes. And I know they're just trying to keep up, but it does get in my head. And it was, it was getting in my head as the second wheel in our race because I was behind Amy most of the race, um, to always have these people just, I mean, they, they were racing too, but they're just like on the rivet and then they blow up and disappear and you don't see them for a re- like for an hour after you finish. But 
Sometimes they get a little bit too close and they don't give you any room or they'll ride up right next to you and they almost hit your handlebar with their handlebar. So I was getting frustrated in the race and I was trying to like wave them to the side to just like give me a little bit of room or like back off a little bit. But I try not to let them affect my dynamic of speeding up or slowing down. But I do think that in a non-UCI race where you can draft off of the men, it is a different ball game because you want to stick on their wheel um, on the lead group of men as long as you can. And that can be a major advantage in that type of race. But Amy, like, what did you think about, like, there was one day where you were behind me and there was a guy doing the same thing to you. And you're like, oh, God, this guy. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, there was that one team in particular that I think didn't like us beating them. <laughs> so... Yeah, that does get, it's just one of those things I think you just get used to is guys not liking girls beating them or being checked. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, you do, you do get that in a race. But you just kind of, you've got to sort of ignore them and just ignore them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and for just a point of reference for everybody, I think in the overall, so there were obviously Amy and Sonia were number one in the pro women, but in the overall category, I think you guys were 12th, I think, in the general classification. So there was a good 50 or 60 teams that got yeah. chicked. So uh, for all you guys out there, sadly, you're going to get crushed by the top women pretty regularly. So when you're racing and pacing yourself, hang on as long as you can and have some fun. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't hang on as long as you can. Ride a smart race. Don't blow yourself to bits trying to keep up with the women's team because you're going to end up being slower overall. Just ride your own race. And in fact, a good example is uh, Matt and Peter yeah. were riding their own race the, the day that I cracked big time. And barely made it to the finish. <laughs> but, you know, no disrespect. We were only, we lost 15 minutes that day in the GC and the women's. But Matt and Peter passed us with like a, one kilometer to go. And they beat us by one minute that day. But they actually paced themselves properly. Like we did not pace ourselves properly, but I was just cracked. But yeah, they, that was an example of pacing yourself and beating a strong women's team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you're racing just like you guys are racing to your strengths and have a game plan, and it doesn't make a difference if it's a women's team or a men's team or whatever, it's really hard when you line up not to get all frothy and want to chase everybody that's in front of you. It's just human nature, I think. But yeah, it's certainly for myself as a racer who's getting into endurance racing, each year I sort of get a little bit better at it. Pacing is, is always the number one thing. I mean, and, and it's hard when it's a five or six hour day because you're going relatively easier than you think you should at the start. But that's certainly been that day in particular for us was good because we paced well. And actually, the end of the race was a downhill rolling section, which was good for bigger, stronger riders. So, yeah, it was great. We paced it properly. But I have another question for you guys about mixed teams because I know you guys have both done a lot of mixed teams. And I know, Amy, you race with uh, Grants a lot. What's it like racing with a male partner versus a female partner? So how is it different? What's the race experience like switching partners like that? I think once again, it does have to do with the partner itself. But generally, a guy like Grant is so much stronger than me. So every day, I was always the nail. He was always the hammer by a mile. So I just had to sort of hang on for dear life. And every single day, I would bury myself and just race like it was a one-day marathon. So, and I think Sonia was the same as Yuki at that Joburg TC every day. And Kath as well, she raced against us mixed. Every day we just like, <laughs> we compared notes and we were all three of us just so broken from racing with the man so much stronger than us. So I think it does, like it makes you stronger racing with the guy. 
Um, but once again, you just have to communicate. And yeah, as a woman, I guess with a women's team, it's the same. You just communicate. I think it's nicer in a way because you're similar, more similar in strengths. You don't feel like super slow. I, I called myself the handbrake sometimes because I felt <laughs> like so much slower than Grant and it was sometimes a bit demoralizing. So I think I really enjoyed racing with Sonia. I think racing in the ladies team, you know, it is things you enjoy both ways, but oh yeah, I really enjoyed the ladies team. I guess the guys teams are so nice because with Grant, he carried all my water every day, all my juice. He would like ride her head and he carried all the spares. He would fill up my bottles for me. So I was like pampered quite a bit with him. <laughs> so that is another pro about being a uh, ride racing with the guy. Right. And Sonny, what's your experience? I know you've done this year, you did trans New Zealand with Gordon uh, Wadsworth. The Pioneer. Or Pioneer, sorry. Yeah. With Gordon Wadsworth and you've raced with Yuki at Joburg. So yeah, how would you compare the difference between women pairs and mixed? Yeah, I think it's way more painful racing with a man because of what Amy said of the discrepancy. Like the guy is so much stronger. Like you want to pick the strongest guy you can possibly find because the stronger rider is supposed to carry more weight and do a lot of pushing. And in pairs racing in mixed, the guy ends up pushing the female quite a bit if you look around. And and we even saw that in some of the men's categories in La Leyenda, like some of the dudes teams one dude was pushing most of the time, the other teammate. But it's harder when you're getting pushed, I think, because that discrepancy is there. So you actually go even harder when you're getting pushed instead of resting and relaxing. It's more, I don't want to say it's more fun. It's just a different experience racing with a woman because the discrepancy is only a couple percent. If you have a team that's well matched, it's not like a massive, massive difference. But so yeah, like one teammate can set the pace. The other teammate can hopefully match it. Instead of like one, the guy like setting the pace and the girl always having to say, can you slow down? Can you slow down? Can you slow down? And that is demoralizing for sure. So yeah, definitely. They're both fun, but it's a different vibe altogether. Yeah. And it sounds like the key point for both of them sounds like communication and understanding and empathy between partners, whether they be, you know, people of the same strength, male or female or stronger. So that there's no oh my God, what's wrong with you? I've seen you go harder in a training ride moment. There's there's understanding of when, when you're having a bad day. <laughs> okay, well, I've got just uh, sort of two more questions. This question, maybe we'll start with Amy, because I think to some degree, you guys have a similar story, but how did you, you decided to become a pro and you sort of hit the switch and decided, I want to be a pro mountain biker. What kind of support did you get from family and from friends? And was there anything you had to overcome there? Or was that a pretty easy decision for you and everyone around you to be supportive and make that? Or was that a bit of a challenge? Well, I had to quit my full-time job. I was a hairdresser and I didn't have a bike. Well, I had a really crappy bike. And like my family was pretty supportive, but not financially. And then everyone around me actually was would tell me how stupid I was and everything but I didn't really care about what they said I just I knew what I wanted to do I knew where I wanted to be and I knew that I'd make a plan to get there so yeah for some reason really early early on I knew that I just I had it in me even though I sucked really badly <laughs> in the beginning I just I, I knew that this was what I had to do and yeah I don't like looking back it was quite a it's quite a journey and sometimes I laugh and yeah, I don't know how I really did it, but I made it work. That, that's awesome. And I think, Sonia, what was your experience? Because you had a somewhat of a similar experience, although you were going to school at the time, you were you were making this happen as well. But what was it, what was it like the moments you decided to say, hey, this is what I want to do and, and, and no one's going to get in my way? How did that happen? 
Yeah, I mean, if you guys want the full story, you should listen. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. I wrote, we did an entire podcast on it, but basically it's like I wanted to be a pro mountain biker, but I, again, I had no financial support from family or from anybody. So I had to work, work a full-time job and I kept trying to choose jobs where I would be able to have time to train. So like I was a solar engineer, but I told them I need to have flexibility in my schedule. So let me make my own schedule. And then I was doing uh, sales and marketing, traveling around the country, but I would take my bike with me. And then eventually I quit my job and said, I'm doing this full time, but it's hard and it's scary. And I didn't have support either. Like I didn't have emotional support. People kept saying to me, well, you have a master's degree in engineering. When are you going to use that? And to be honest, people still tell me that. And I tell them I'm not. I'm not going back. Like, this is it. There is, I'm not going back to the safety net. And like my family didn't support me. Like they, they would just keep saying like, they're happy. I, I had a hobby that I liked, but to them it was just a hobby. So yeah, if you guys, if people out there want to do it, it's like, it takes drive and courage and not giving up. And every single person that I look around that I started racing with, they've all made it and it took a decade and they're there. So don't give up. Yeah, that's awesome. And then to sort of wrap this back around to La Leyenda, you guys both beat, and this is, again, a, a compliment 100% to your competition. They, they're incredibly strong women, very accomplished riders, well-known, and you guys, it's a relatively big win for you guys. How does that feel coming, Amy, from that those moments of, like you said, maybe not performing as well as you wanted, in your word, sucking, uh, but not, and uh, not having maybe people believe in you? What, what does it feel like now to, to sort of have this kind of a victory? It feels really good. I must say I've had a lot of achievements and victories and a lot of failures in between. So, you know, it feels good, but it's it's not like, I don't know, I don't have like a huge ego from it, I guess. I think it's more the failures along the way that have made me grow. And um, yeah, I failed a lot in my career. So those are more the highlights for me in a way. Those would make the journey so much more worthwhile. Yeah. And for me, it was just learning to not underestimate yourself. Like, and, you know, just because yeah. you won one race doesn't mean that you're going to keep winning. It's like you just have to keep going. And yeah. it's, the, it's the process and what we went through to get to that finish line. That's what's repeatable and what's important. And the the win is the icing on the cake. But the mindset of not going into a race thinking, oh, well, I'm just I'm going to lose. Like not thinking that I think is what I learned. Yeah. And as well, I mean, whether you win or you lose, it doesn't last. So that's actually the beauty of it. I mean, I was really strong at La Leyenda, but then two weeks time I could get my ass kicked somewhere else. And then, <laughs> you know, then I start from scratch and I learn from my mistakes. And then a month later, I'll beat someone that I've never been able to beat before. That's just the beauty of it. It's a constant learning process and just never underestimate yourself. Yeah, that's interesting to hear the sort of the mindset of, of what a professional athlete goes through is, is recognizing failure as an opportunity rather than a setback. And then also having the patience to just keep on working at it. Like Sonia said, it could be a decade, it could be months, but to believe in yourself, stay focused and learn as you go and not put too many expectations on what might happen next week. So yeah, it's interesting to hear both of your guys' thought process around that. And I think it sounds easy to say, but those are very difficult things to execute. Yeah. And I think another thing is also to not tie your self-worth into your results, which is something I did quite quite a lot earlier on as well so just to recognize you know that you will fail you will win but don't don't tie yourself worth to that you you know mountain biking is what you do it's not what you are put that way right yeah absolutely 
Well, excellent. Well, I think we're probably out of time. And then Amy's got to uh, probably get back on the trainer and, and do about three more hours with a riding or something crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> So we'll let you go. I'm actually going for a run. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need part this running thing. What? No, so, yeah. Just a recovery. Run. <laughs> so it'll be like the Terminator and Terminator 2, just like dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> it's like not even breathing, mouth closed, just <laughs> sprinting. <laughs> Oh, yeah, awesome. I don't think I have much talent in the running department. My legs are a little bit short, but it's nice to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we'll wrap that up here. Thanks so much for spending the time, Amy and Sonia, for sharing your ideas. And we look forward to hopefully seeing you at some point and who knows where in the world. Maybe it'll be South Africa. Maybe no, it'll be North gonna, America. She's going to come visit. Oh, there we go. Yes. Awesome. Yes. yes. You love it here. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, yeah, bye. I can't wait. Definitely. <laughs> bye. Okay, well, thanks. Thanks for the chat, guys. It was good seeing you again. And yeah, hopefully see you soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. See ya. That was so much fun getting to talk to Amy again. I mean, when you spend time with people racing, especially at La Leyenda, which was 27 hours of racing, you get used to being around people all the time. And I really miss Amy. Yeah, it was great to reconnect with her. And it just reminds me that she's like the nicest, most polite Terminator you've ever met. You see that at the race. She's just this sweet, nice person. But when the gun goes off, she's just crushing people. And it was really neat to reconnect with her again. Yeah, I said in the race to her, I'm so glad that we're racing as a team and I'm not having to race against you this time. (laughs) Yeah, an amazing experience. And after you finish a, a stage race like that, it's you almost have what some people call a stage race blues. And you're just so used to being in this little bubble. So it's nice to sort of go back and relive that a little bit with Amy and and those moments. It was really fun. Yeah, I just have a few questions for you, Matt, because you raced as a team with Peter Watson and you guys raced in the open men category and you came 10th place in the open men category. And for you, this was sort of a, a breakout race where everything went to plan mostly. And what was that like racing with Peter? Because this was your first team race as well. And what did that feel like to go through each day and actually be able to execute on all the things you've been working on? Yeah, it was awesome. Peter was an incredible partner. I think going into the race, we communicated very clearly. Again, like you had mentioned, that's important. And uh, Peter's much stronger than I am. So he knew what to expect and I knew what to expect out of the race. And so he was very supportive when I needed him literally to have give me a push physically or just to, you know, help me out filling water or whatever the case was. So it was great to have that support there. And then from a pacing standpoint, for myself, it felt incredible to actually execute a race plan properly because all kinds of things can go wrong in a long endurance race. Your nutrition, that's been a challenge for me to get that right. Pacing has been a challenge for me to get that right. Cramping has been a big issue for me in the past trying to solve the cramping uh, riddle, so to speak. So... It was awesome. It was consistent and an incredible race for me. And again, Peter was a big part of that, helping me get through that as well. So yeah, it, it felt really good to finally put something together over seven days. And again, I don't train as much as I probably could working full-time, etc. cetera. So I, I did get a good block of training in. I felt prepared and executed all the way through. So yeah, it was awesome. I felt great. Yeah, and I think also it was really special that we were both there and we try to go as much as we can to the same races and Matt tries to travel with me as much as possible. But this race was such a unique cultural experience and to be able to share that 
you really can't describe it. So, I mean, if you guys are thinking about doing a stage race, I highly recommend looking at La Leyenda for 2018 because all these things we described, there's just no way you can actually feel it. So to have Matt there and to have him come in not, not too far behind me every day and to just be there at the finish line was awesome and just really special. It's a great way to grow your relationship too, to share these amazing experiences with one another. And it's hard too, like the race is hard. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And even if, I mean, for those of you out there that that have partners that race and whether they race with a different person or whether they just come there to be part of the race, it's sometimes races will have opportunities for you to travel with the race and go to the finishes because it's such a unique experience and it's really special to be able to share that with someone you love. So, I mean, even if you're not racing, your partner doesn't race, I'd highly recommend going to Colombia, going to La Leyenda because it will be unlike any other experience that you've had before. Awesome. Well, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap this up. But if you guys want to find Amy McDougall, my teammate, Amy Beth McDougall, she is on Instagram and she has posted some things. So I'll put that up in the show notes. I think she's Amy Mac on Instagram, but I'll put that in the show notes. And also, if you want to follow Matt on Instagram, it's at Matt Iwanis and he is posting intermittently, but maybe (laughs) (laughs) maybe uh, he'll start posting a bit more. You just never know. You have to tune in to find out. That's right. If you guys want to see more about La Leyenda, I actually made a couple of YouTube videos. So go to my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash MTB, including some shots of the start or some shots of the registration where there was the lights and the smoke and the DJ and the trophies. The trophies were cool because they were handmade. It's handmade pottery. And I love races where you get to take home a little piece of the culture with you made by a local artisan. And the trophy is actually this big bowl looking pottery thing. And you guys can find pictures of that on my Instagram as well. But When my parents come to visit, I'm thinking about making some margaritas and putting them inside the chalice of La Leyenda del Dorado. I also wanted to extend a special thank you to the race because this was a second year event and they did an absolutely incredible job. Everything was dialed. I've done more than 20 stage races and this was one of the best by far that I've done. I mean, you stay in really nice hotels along the way. There's no tenting and everybody stays in a hotel and you have about two nights in each location. So you don't have to pack up and move every day, which can be a bit cumbersome in stage racing. And they just thought of everything. They had massage and mechanics and the race founder, Brian, he would walk around every day talking to everybody at dinner just to make sure that people felt welcome. And one of the stops was a hot springs called Termales Otoño. And two of the stage finishes, you could come in, be totally broken, and we were, and go take a shower and then go sit in the the hot springs pools. And it just felt like a freaking resort. It was absolutely amazing. And another thing that we didn't really get to talk about very much in the podcast was the landscape. And I just want to tell you guys that there was high altitude jungles. So some of you have seen pictures on my Instagram or Facebook about this, but We are at 13,500 feet for the max elevation of the race. And I've done tons of racing in the Himalaya and Rocky Mountains and Alps and all these things. And there was no tree line. It was still just all these like crazy jungle trees and foliage everywhere. And you would never guess that you were at 13,500 feet. It was really amazing. And I just love Columbia. I'm also going to be writing a story about this. I sent out a press release and that's going to be available on my website, but I'm going to actually send out more of a a lifestyle adventure story about our experience at this race. 
So make sure that you're subscribed to my newsletter, which you can do through my website, because that's where I'm going to send out notification of this story being published. Thanks so, so much to those of you who have contributed financially to my show on Patreon. It's really helpful. And what that is, is it's a website where you can go and you can choose any dollar amount to contribute to the growth and development of this podcast so that if you're enjoying it, it can help reach even more people and it can keep getting better and better. Thank you so much, guys. I couldn't do this without you. There's some pretty cool guests coming up. I've already recorded the episodes, so I already know who they are and I've gotten to hear what they've had to say. So make sure you've subscribed to the show, share it with your friends and wishing you all the best success in your training and your adventures. And we'll see you back here next week. 